your farm and your future matter to us. Welcome to Dairy Stream, a podcast focusing on opportunities and challenges impacting the future of dairy. This podcast is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations fighting for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Joanna Guza. Genetics are a piece of the sustainability puzzle, and today we are going to highlight the proof of it, a collaborative project between Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, Farmers for Sustainable Food, Zoetis, and eight aligned farms was completed to show how focusing on genetic improvement correlates to not only lifetime profitability, but reductions in methane intensity, antibiotic usage, and feed use on the farm. This project focused on approximately 8,000 cows that were born in 2015 and 2016 and genomically tested as heifers. They were evaluated in 2021 and 2023 using the heifer genomic predictions. Our guests today are Lauren Bry. She's the Director of Strategic Partnerships and Sustainability for the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. In this role, she serves as the Managing Director for Farmers for Sustainable Food and directs the support of farmer-led conservation groups and sustainability projects. Lauren helped recruit farms to participate in the study that were either Edge members or involved in Farmers for Sustainable Food projects. Our second guest is Dr. Dan Weigel. His role with Zoetis is outcomes research. Dr. Weigel's role in this research project was to help find herds that had the required data and assist with the analysis and reporting. So to get the conversation started, Lauren, can you just share some of the behind the scenes of how this study got started? Definitely. Farmers for Sustainable Food has been working with farmers and the agriculture and food value chain partners on sustainability projects, looking at field level and environmental sustainability and financials of conservation practices. At a workshop following our first Farmers for Sustainable Food annual meeting, our members shared with us the need to start exploring sustainability on the animal care side of the business. So it made great sense for us to partner with a company like Zoetis that is working in this space and has critical information that they are already gathering with the farms they work with. And they also have great expertise in this area of genomics and genetic analysis. Right. It just made sense to make sure that we are partnering with people that were already involved in this. So, Lauren, if you could start and Dan, I'd like you to add, how were these farms selected and did all the farms have a similar profile? From our perspective on the EDGE and Farmers for Sustainable Food side of things, we targeted our members, of course. So EDGE dairy farmer members who are progressive-minded, forward-thinking in the genetic space, and those who are already engaged in sustainability projects through Farmers for Sustainable Food were our key targets. Right, people that already had an interest in this. And Dr. Weigel, from your perspective, how were these farms selected? And if you could share more about their business profile. Our perspective, the real key was that these farmers had to start testing, genomically testing, uh, back in 2015 and 2016. Again, for this study, we're looking at lifetime productivity, and so we really need these cows to have the had the ability to uh, put in a full lifetimes of productivity. So we needed to have these uh, herds that tested back in 2015, 2016, were edge members, and then also kept good records so that we could calculate lifetime profitability and and uh, all of the inputs required for the sustainability metrics. And when it comes to the the breed of the cows, and I'm not sure if that matters, but what was the breed of the cow and, you know, the size of the farms? Were they from like 100 cows to 1,000 cows? 
No, these were all pretty large herds. Almost all, all but one were, were Holstein herds. We had one Jersey herd we want to include just to see how that looked. And uh, I think there was a, I think a variety of uh, herds we had, different uh, sets of owners, different philosophies. And I think that really did help with the study. And I don't know if you'll get into this later, but did that Jersey herd differ to the Holstein herd? Well, obviously they're they're quite different in, in the, their production and their size, how much feed they consume. And and I don't know if our models are, are the best, right, for comparing across herds. Because again, we use book values for all, how much feed they're eating, how much the feed costs, uh, the milk price, everything. We use just standard book values and, and for the housing, you know. So, you know, we don't feel quite as comfortable comparing you know, between farms, you know, certainly you can look at some things and feel pretty comfortable about, on them, but uh, certainly within farm, and that was our focus, you know, can we look within farm and compare heifers who have the same environment their whole lives and look at the sustainability out, uh, outcomes that they have. One item you used was the Dairy Wellness Profit Index. Dan, can you share what that is and how it was used in the study? Sure. So the Dairy Wells Profit Index is an index we created here at Zoetis back in 2016. At that time, young producers had a lot of genetic predictions available to them around production, reproduction, uh, somatic cell, productive life, calving traits, uh, confirmation traits. And, and then we came along with our proprietary predictions around health, uh, specifically uh, mastitis, lameness, metritis, displaced abomasum, and retained placenta. So we want to give uh, produces us one number. Again, we were pretty proud of these uh, traits that we came out with, all the research we had done, and we saw how impactful they were, but we didn't want anybody to get carried away. And so we wanted to give them one number, and that was a number that predicted which heifer is going to be the most profitable in their op in their operation. And over the years, we've added more traits. We've come along with uh, predictions for things like twinning and abortion and calf health and livability. And we've also validated our index to show that it really does predict lifetime profitability. And we've changed it based on that research to better predict profitability on our commercial herds. So what we want to do here in this study was say, okay, if producers are selecting on this index that's designed to predict lifetime profitability, how does that also impact these outcomes around sustainability and welfare? And when you talk about the Dairy Wellness Profit Index, if you could even simplify, is this a, a program that you guys have where you're inputting the data and then getting that number? How, how does the record keeping work? To develop our predictions, we have signed agreements with all of our dairy producers. Uh, again, we work with uh, commercial dairy producers who, have, who we also work with on an animal health basis. So they have good protocols and recording of, of animal health events. Uh, that's really the key. And then we uh, have a team of, of, of geneticists and support staff that produce these uh, genetic predictions and and then combine those traits with the traits available from CDCB to come up with this dairy wellness profit dollar index. We also have an ongoing program where we work with our producers and to meet with them and show them how the predictions are working on their farms with their cattle and do some benchmarking and show them some opportunities that they have to improve specific aspects of their farm based on how the predictions are working. So it's a pretty cool program. And then also, you know, we've published all that research uh, validating how the predictions work, how the lifetime profit index work. And we turn around right around and use those same methods uh, for our producers. We literally do hundreds of evaluations of how genetic predictions are working for our, our producers every year. 
right? I feel like we're going to, we're only talking about this for 30, 40 minutes, but there's been hours and hours of time that has been put into this. Dr. Weigel, can you share the process of how the data was collected and analyzed? So take us back to 2015. Yeah. So again, as I mentioned, we work with producers who we felt like we're doing a good job recording health events and, and we had them sign release forms that we, we agreed that we could use their data to develop these predictions. And as I mentioned, for this study, it was pretty close to what we normally do, right? We're anal analyzing these same outcomes for lifetime profitability. So we're taking all the inputs. Every time a, a cow was treated or heifer was bred, what age she calved, how long was she, was she dry, did she have a live calf, did she leave the farm alive? We take all of those things and put a value on them and discount it back to birth and estimate how much profit did she make that dairy operation. For this study, there's been an awful lot of research coming out on feed efficiency and methane emissions. And so we were able to leverage that research since we, we already estimating how much feed she's eating. And we were able to just estimate the methane production she each cow had over her lifetime, including when she was a heifer, and look at how well the predictions matched up with uh, profitability. And we're going to dive into some of those findings just before we go into our break. And then in the second part, one thing that it says is those animals, those 8,000 cows were reevaluated in 2021 and 2023. What was happening in that process? Yeah. So again, as I mentioned, we really need these cows to have the opportunity to live out their lifetime. So in, in 2021, we used the cows that were born in, in 2015. And then uh, this past year, we went back and looked at the, added the cows that were born in 2016. So we could look at year over year improvements on these on these herds. One thing the study had was 43% reduction in antibiotic usage. Can you share how this was analyzed and the why factor behind it? As I mentioned, we have all the health events recorded by these producers and, and for each specific type of health event, we work with our uh, veterinarians and our technical services group and, and estimate, you know, come up with this common protocol that would be used to treat that outcome and estimate the milligrams of antibiotic that would be used in that protocol. And so we just summed all that up over this these cows' lifetime. And again, just to, you know, the 43% seems pretty like a wow factor, but uh, our traits, uh, day in and day out, we analyze. Generally, we look at the top 25% of our cows, of a uh, herd uh, of cows for our predictions for a particular trait like mastitis or lameness. We generally expect those cows to have half the disease outcomes of cows in the bottom 25% of the herd. And that's exactly what we were looking at here too. If we ranked the cows on dairy wellness profit dollars, and we looked at the top 25% of the cows versus the bottom 25%, we see a 43% reduction in what we call antibiotic intensity. So again, uh, we want cows to live a long time, so they have a great opportunity to be, get treated. So the key is to express the antibiotics in an efficiency manner. We call that intensity. So we take the, the grams of antibiotic, for example, per million pounds of milk that that cow made over her lifetime is our outcome. Cows that give a lot of milk are rewarded, and we're looking at cows that use the least amount of antibiotics per million pounds of milk produced. And, and the difference between the best 25% and the worst 25% of the cows in this study was 43% less antibiotics used. One thing when I think about when antibiotics are used, usually it's and, and I'm not a scientist, so Dan, you could, you could tell me I'm wrong, but doesn't it kind of go back off of the environment of the animal and how they're living and where they're laying and if they're going to be treated with antibiotics or does just genetics play that big of a factor that the environment doesn't matter as much? 
Well, absolutely, the environments uh, matter quite a bit. And and again, in our estimate of lifetime profitability, we include a, a pretty big factor for uh, you know the daily costs uh, because our we know our producers are building these five star hotels for these cows uh, to make their life as good as possible and to absolutely reduce the amount of outcomes, negative outcomes they're having. So again, all of our predictions are within herd. Uh, that's the key. It doesn't matter if you're, you treat a lot of cows or you don't treat as many. We generally see that percentage reduction. That's why we don't we scaled our traits the way we do because it's a risk factor, right? And and generally the, the cows in the worst 25% are twice as likely to have an outcome as the cows in the bottom per, uh, percent, uh, 25%. And and doesn't matter if you're, you've got a great environment or a terrible environment, it, that ratio is going to be about the same. That was the voice of Dr. Dan Weigel. His role at Zoetis is the outcomes research. We also have Lauren Bry. She's the Director of Strategic Partnerships and Sustainability for the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. We're going to keep diving into understanding this research with our guests, so make sure you stay with us. We will be right back with Dairy Stream after we hear from our sponsor. Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative provides farmers throughout the Midwest with a powerful voice, the voice of milk, in Congress, with customers, and within our communities. Edge is the third largest dairy cooperative in the country based on milk volume. Member farms are located in Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Nebraska, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. Learn more at voiceofmilk.com. Welcome back to Dairy Stream. The Dairy Stream podcast is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Dan, we're going to jump right back into understanding this research and this research study that you all have been a part of. The study had 23% reduction in number of replacement heifers needed. Can you share how this compares to a normal dairy and the data behind it? Sure. As we look at that best 25% of our of the cows in these herds, when you rank the, all the cows within the herd on Dairy Wellness Profit Dollar Index, we find that the best 25% of cows live longer. Again, usually about a, a lactation longer. Your cows are living longer. Obviously, uh, your replacement rate is lower and you need less replacement heifers. And so this is a pretty common thing that we see. Again, that, that we look at these uh, lifetime profitability of these cows. They're, they're more profitable. They, they stay around longer. They, again, mature cows give more milk. And the key is they have you know fewer health events because we all know that even though older cows give more milk, they do have more health events, and we just don't want that, right? And so uh, this is pretty consistent with all the herds that we analyzed and not, not really a, a big surprise. This is only the second time that they were reevaluated. Is this study going to continue so that you could maybe see another round of of data? As I mentioned, you know, we analyze. We like to analyze the data for our, our producers at least once a year. So this is really not a big deal for us. We're typically sitting down with them every year anyway, and just really, really happy to be able to have this opportunity to add sustainability to our analysis. The study had 15.8 metric ton of methane reduced per 1,000 cow herd. Can you simplify that, break it down for us, and what this means? That uh, 15.8 metric tons refers to the cows born in 2015, uh, the first year of our analysis. And again, it's the same idea as I mentioned before between for antibiotic intensity. You know, cows that give more milk eat more. Uh, and again, the, all the literature says that you can pretty much predict how much methane they're going to emit based on how much feed they're consuming. So the key is we really need to put this on an efficiency metric. And so we estimate how much methane the cow generated over her lifetime 
And then we divide that by the amount of milk she gave over her lifetime uh, to put that methane intensity or efficiency scale. And so the 15.8 metric tons refers to, hey, if I had a, a herd of 1,000 cows made up of only the best 25% of the cows in this study, and they made 30,000 pounds of milk per year, that herd of cows, 1,000 cows, would generate 15.8 metric tons less methane doing the exact same job as the bond, cows made up of the bond 25%. And the cool thing is, when we repeat the study in 2016, that difference jumps up to 17.2 metric tons. And again, you can jump on the EPA calculator. That's a lot of a lot of acres of trees that you'd have to have sequestering carbon every year to equal the, the same amount of methane that, that we saw in the study. I feel like, Dr. Weigel, after every answer, I want to say, wow, but <laughs> we have one more study uh, item to get through because this has been pretty amazing and pretty impressive hearing more about the research project that you all have been a part of. So you know, we all know that feed costs is a big expense on the farm. This study shows that it decreased the feed usage on the farm. Can you share more details on this finding? Sure. And again, the amount of feed consumed is one-to-one -one with the methane uh, production. There's a lot of literature around that relationship. And so, yeah, if you look at the methane, it's the same uh, story for the feed efficiency. Those cows, over their lifetime, they ate a certain amount of feed, but they gave a lot of milk. Um, again, the key is these mature cows can really make a lot of extra milk and dilute over, out their uh, heifer-rearing feed expenses. The other thing we did on this study is we also used the research from feed efficiency to show that bigger cows eat more feed than uh, smaller cows. And we have a genetic prediction for, for mature body size called body weight composite. And, and we have some producers that do a really good job of weighing their cows. And so we were able to use that those uh, genetic differences to estimate how much bigger those cows were as heifers and as two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds and so on, and calculate how much more extra feed they would eat. Uh, we also did give them credit for the extra weight at culling if they were, if they left the farm alive. And then we also had a second part of the study where, again, we mentioned the, the differences in reduction and uh, heifers needed. And when you start uh, looking at the, you know, the reductions of uh, heifers that you need to support, you know, a herd made up of either the best or the worst 25% of the cows for dairy wellness profit dollars, it's, it's pretty substantial. And again, uh, you start looking at these carbon calculators, uh, any of these tools, it assigns all the carbon made on the dairy to the milk. And so uh, having a lot more heifers really, really hurts your number. And, uh, and obviously there's a tremendous amount of feed. Think about maybe some outside factors that could impact the study, whether that was poor feed, you know, quality. Was that a challenging factor in this study? Sure. And again, we, we probably didn't see the biggest year-over-year -year improvement in production, and probably that was part of it. Maybe they had a down year that uh, these, some of these uh, later years was affected. And again, we, we do have differences in, in producers. I mean, some producers told us when we reviewed the data with them, I, well, I have a lower cost diet. And okay, so we used a set a set feed cost and that, so you so we had the profitability number wrong probably for that herd, right? They have a lower feed cost and and even though they don't get as much milk production, they may be just as, as profitable. Unfortunately, on, on the carbon, and the methane, uh, it, there's no getting away from it. It's whatever feed they're eating, there's a certain amount of methane produced. And so, again, in fact, uh, as we go to more concentrated diets, as some of our producers did, then you, we actually see even less methane than, than we probably were predicting. So, again, something for producers to think about as we go forward is, is, is maybe they start to feel some pressures around their carbon footprint numbers. 
right? And something that maybe the the processor or the brands might be asking for. Let's talk about that ROI number, because I think that's what people want to know about that profitability, that money that's going to be staying in their pocketbook. Lauren, if you want to start and Dan, if you can add, if a farmer wants to implement this on their dairy, what is the time frame and the ROI? What I think is so unique and exciting about this type of study and this type of technology is that farmers can get started today on making a change in your genetic selection criteria. All dairy farmers need to breed their cows. Everyone has the same access to the bulls that are available. Through adjusting your selection criteria and adding some genomic analysis to your program, you can make fast progress on improving your farm's sustainability in the barn. Genomics allows you to assess the strengths and weaknesses of your farm's genetics. And when we're talking about the timeline, it would be about three years from when you change your breeding strategy and then two years from when those calves are born and hit the ground before you start seeing that return on the strategy. But each successive generation will show dramatic improvement if you start today and start using these technologies that are at your disposal. Start now, have some patience. Dr. Weigel, your perspective? This is a really uh, unique technology, right? As our team in the field has found, it it just takes a lot of working with our customers to develop a plan that best fits their situation. Again, certainly if they have excess heifers that they're sitting on, the return on investment can be pretty immediate. They can cash in those heifers that they don't really need. And because uh, the worst thing, a lot of our producers will just keep the extra heifers and have a higher cull rate. And that's not really a great thing to do. So probably the biggest thing that's changed the last couple of years is, you know, our reproductive performance has improved so much. The, our producers are really, really adopting an all-sex, all-beef strategy, and that is a huge moneymaker with the price of calves today. And that's really cool because these producers get to look at that information every year and say, hey, is she still in the top X percent of my herd genetically that I want a replacement heifer for her? And they have a, the ability now to really say, yeah, I, I want a heifer out of her, and, and uh, they can make that happen 90% of the time. That's really, really cool. Very exciting. And Lauren, maybe if you could add on this, like you guys seem like you already have the framework because you did this study. So if a farm wanted to join, it's just putting the pieces together. Does that sound accurate, Lauren? Yeah, I think it's taking advantage of the resources that are available. There are plenty of people in the genetic space that have expertise. So if this isn't your area of expertise on your farm, reach out to your trusted advisors and start finding ways to work with people who can teach you, mentor you, and guide you. Um, Like the team at Zoetis, for example, as they mentioned, they have people out in the field meeting with farmers reviewing their reports very frequently. And that's their role is to serve as those trusted advisors when you're utilizing the genomic testing. Right. And thank you to these eight farms that kind of paved the path to get this going so other farms can join in and may, hopefully it's an easy transition for them to start. Lauren, how does this research impact the future of sustainable food? Well, a lot of sustainability conversations today really talk about the conservation practices in the field or manure management, methane reduction with the use of feed additives in your ration, for example. And while all those are important areas, genetics and genomic data are something that is easily accessible to all farmers to make improvements in the future of their herd. And as our project is proving, it's not just a more sustainable herd of cows, it's more profitable as well. And I know, Lauren, you've worked with different brands. Is this something that the brands are looking for to be selling sustainable food to their customers? 
I don't think that any food companies have any idea that this is such an easy topic or an easy area for farms to make progress in. A lot of what we're hearing from food companies or conservation organizations who want to support farmers is they're often looking to provide funding to help farmers put a digester on their farm or try a new feed additive. And while that's admirable, that's not always going to be sustainable because it's adding more cost to your diet if you're doing a feed additive. We don't have the ability to measure if that's really reducing methane. Typically, it's very um, based on models um, and may impact other areas of your farm management. This is something that's so simple. We're already breeding our cows, as I mentioned before. It's something you have to do anyways. So a small tweak in your management strategy can yield these big dividends. And I think that the farms who take advantage of this earlier to start making that progress sooner will have the opportunity to talk about it and share how it's making them a more sustainable farm. So while you might not get support to do it from a food company per se, it also provides you as a farmer with more tools in your toolbox to talk about why you are a more sustainable farm. Well, Lauren and Dan, I feel like you've swept me off my feet with learning more about the study that you all were a part of. What's next for the future of research and genetics? Dan, if you could share your perspective first and Lauren, where you think it's going to go. Sure. Again, my crystal ball isn't uh, 100% accurate, but uh, I think we all see, again, as I mentioned, that our genetic predictions, when you have half the disease in the best 25% versus the lowest 25%, that's huge, right? And we also see the sensor technology or aiding producers to, to find these cows that need some help. And of course, everywhere you look, you hear about artificial intelligence and, and uh, uh, these machine learning things. And uh, I think we all see it, right? That we're, all those you know, three things are gonna come together and we're gonna look at environment and, and everything else and really have some really useful tools uh, for, to help uh, producers manage their cows and find individual cows that need uh, they aren't going to be successful. I think that's just a, a tremendous, I'm really, really excited. Obviously, we know about the feed efficiency methane research that's going on now. I think that's going to be a, a big boon to our industry. Again, just hats off to Lauren and her team. Uh, these producers have been really great to work with. They totally get it. They, they, they know they have a great message. Uh, that they've been investing in sustainability of uh, production. And this is just another tool that they're utilizing on that path. And I'm just, I've been really, really pleased with their response uh, to this project. It's always, it's making it worth it. And Lauren, your perspective on, you know, what's next for the, for research in genetics. I just hope that more farmers start to take advantage of genetics to improve their herd sustainability and their profitability. I also think we will continue to see a lot of data collected in this space. I mean, we already know that if you do a genomic test, you can see all these different pieces of information or all the information we're putting in our herd management systems, the information you can gather from your cropping practices or our milk testing. That's a lot of data. I think the next step or where our future is, is digging into that information. How can we refine it, assess it, and then use it to better manage our farms to achieve our specific goals? Every farm is individual. We're all going to have a little bit of a different goal, but we need to really dig into our data and start using it. And I think adding on that, there's a need in this space for advisors who understand the data in the different areas and then can be those trusted advisors to our farms. 
I, I just feel like it comes back to we're always getting better. And it's really exciting to see what has been done and what is to come. I mean, uh, Dr. Weigel brought up artificial intelligence and how we're using these sensors and models. I think things are only going to get better. So thank you so much, Lauren and, and Dr. Weigel, for your time. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please make sure you subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We appreciate your precious time and listening. I'm Joanna Guza for Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, email us at podcast at dairyforward.com.